Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, a monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed, first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. Last month's book was Echoes Shades by Peter Zaberski. And I'll be previewing that book on the Instagram TV channel and the Real Photo Show YouTube channel. And this month's book is I Can't Stand to See Your Cry by Raheem Fortune. Uh, and I'll be previewing that book as well. Uh, so check out charcoalbookclub.com to become a member or to shop their store where both books should still be available. Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My return guest today is Eleanor Carucci. Eleanor and I talk about her book, Midlife, which she published just before the pandemic, uh, an autobiographical exploration of life, aging, mortality, and the challenges women face as they get older to not become invisible. We talk about the hard work and stresses involved with making personal and commercial work while raising children and teaching. And because this is part of the teaching series, Eleanor and I will talk about her mentors, uh, the ways in which she has changed as an educator, how she learns from her students, and just a lot of other good information and insights that Eleanor has from her 22 years of teaching. So just a quick reminder, there's still time to apply to Homecoming 2021, which is a free opportunity open to all graduates from 2020 and seniors and graduates from 2021. Uh, check out mfaphotographyreviews.com. There will be a publication, a show at the JKC Gallery, and a giveaway from Fujifilm, a GFX 100S large format mirrorless camera with a lens. Uh, so check that out at mfaphotographyreviews.com. And just one really quick note, uh, I think there was some kind of construction going on next door to Eleanor's home, uh, so you'll hear those noises come and go a bit uh, as you listen to the show. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. Thanks for joining me again. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. In, yeah. And in between, we had other conversations. So we've <laughs> been in there, touch during COVID. There, yes, there, we actually have, which has been very nice. It's nice to stay in touch. Yes. And, and of course, uh, in between uh, you know, the times you've been on my show and on Sasha Wolf's show, you've published a book called Midlife. Yes. And yeah. it's uh, uh, it had some uh, rave reviews. <laughs> it's gotten Available some nice press. Available on Amazon for thirty-four dollars. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little promotion here. Uh, the publisher must also sell it, right? Monticelli. Is it Monticelli or Monticelli? It's, it's Monticelli, Monticelli, which are now a part of Fidon. Yeah, you can oh, buy yeah. it through, of course, Monticelli, Fidon as well, or Amazon. <laughs> Yes. Just visit your website. <laughs> yeah, the book has been doing really well. Um, are you? Um, do you know if you're you're already thinking about second edition? Of, you know, publishing it uh, a second time around. Uh, how close are you? 
I'm, I, what I'm trying to say is, should people run out and get it now because it's uh, selling out? <laughs> yeah, it is selling out, and it's been doing very well, which I'm really proud of because it was not not easy to publish this book. Um, many publishers didn't think it will do well because it's a book about a middle-aged woman talking about being middle-aged. Um, it was not easy to publish, and then it, it was published and got great reviews in New Yorker, New York, and um the guardian and it's doing really well yeah you know I, and i've had a chance to to look through the book and you know there's i think there are there are photographs that we would definitely look at and say oh that's an eleanor carucci photograph right there's there's photos of family and you with right. your family and uh your parents and and erin Right. Uh, Aaron, right? Yes, Aaron. Okay, sorry. Who you just saw. <laughs> I, I know. Helping with <laughs> yes, the technical right. issues. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but but then I think there are some some photos that that are not new for you, but I, I, maybe new new for us in some ways, where there are more abstractions, right? And right. and the the parts of your body and the still life kind of uh, photos that you've taken. Were you uh, you know thinking about? you know, how you could have the work that is essentially that looks like yours and then have this other kind of work where you're you're trying new things. Is that something you were thinking about? So actually what happened is, well, midlife crisis. I, was, <laughs> um, I, I wasn't aware of making this body of work as a body of work for a few years. Mm. And I just thought that I'm um, a little lost and trying different things because I started to do those blood paintings. And, right. And I've been an Agnes Martin fan and admirer for many years, her writings as her art as well. Um, and I was like, maybe I'm doing abstract, but is it maybe later I realized maybe it's emotional landscapes. And then I bought a new Marco lens and started photographing those extreme close-ups. And I was like, maybe I'm trying, maybe this is a series that I'll never show. Maybe it's absurd. And it was only at some point where I looked at after actually after I had my hysterectomy and I was depressed and 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 I looked at the work and it suddenly I realized actually no it's not things that I'm trying or it's not that I don't find my way or mm -hmm. I am making a body of work about being middle aged about midlife and then it kind of all kind of made sense to me. I'm like, this is a project. Um, and once I realized that and acknowledged that, I, I was also much more committed. I was like, oh, so if I'm photographing being middle-aged, I have to also photograph this and this and then made lists of things and made some research and talked to friends that are around my age and kind of said, okay, you know, I am working on a project. I have been for a few years without realizing this with those blood paintings and close-ups and images of generations suddenly I realized they're there my parents that are aging and I was like and then I gave it a few more years of, of photographing while knowing what I'm actually photo doing in terms of a project I'm committed to. The work you're, you're doing now is about isolation. Did this work overlap with midlife as well did did the midlife work go into the pandemic so what i did publish midlife in oh though no right 2019 before before yeah, yeah yeah right i did i published it before um and not to say that i don't sometimes photograph images that i'm like would this should be a part of midlife i'm still middle age <laughs> it's not like 
And I'm like, oh, I mean, you know, so. Right. Um, but I have been also photographing my children and their teen, twin and teen years uh, for a while. So uh, this is overlapping with the right. isolation work that I, you know, like many people didn't plan on or just yeah. started photographing <laughs> whatever COVID. Yeah, well, uh, you had that beautiful, yeah. you had that beautiful photo of one of your children on the uh, on the fire escape that yeah. was published in the New York Times, which was a gorgeous photo. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. Yeah. And, um, ju oh, just to back up a little bit. So I'm trying to get with the timing of this book. Did you actually uh, have uh, have time to go out and promote and do book signings with this book? It was kind of cut. Uh, yeah. It had an abrupt ending because um, I was supposed to have a show at uh, Edwin Hauk that mm. ended up as an online show. Right. Um, there was supposed to be the show at the Museum of Contemporary Photography is up right now. It was delayed and I was supposed to fly there. And so I'm a part of an eight women show that oh, took okay. the whole museum, but I have a room with images from midlife. Um, and there is a show that just opened, I think tomorrow at the <laughs> Hamburg House of Photography and um, with midlife work that was supposed to open a while ago. So things got delayed uh, or, you know, in, in, in the case of Edwin Hauck, it was an online show and uh, not many book signings like I planned. So right. it came out in October. It did very well. And then. Oh, yeah. It's only a few months later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it was I mean, it could have been worse. I had friends who published a book in February <laughs> right. of 2020. So I've had them on the show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it could have been at least I had a few months. And, and then after that. Um, it's been selling mainly online through Amazon or Monticelli. You know, I was thinking ab about your work and and the pandemic and 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 the way everybody's had to react and and create work um, that does involve isolation, that does involve being at home with everyone all at once, all the time. And right, uh, right. actually, was thinking that you were particularly well suited for this kind of work. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, in a way. In a way, this COVID year has been one of the most productive years for me because <laughs> I can I'm believe used it. to working from home. I never had a studio. I'm used to photographing myself and my family. I have all my equipment here. So in a way, <laughs> um, yes, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm a quarantine kind of a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> but now um, uh, I know you shared some, some images. I, I think everyone, uh, almost everyone in your family is vaccinated, right? Everyone is fully vaccinated. Wow, everyone is. Yeah, because your your kids are beyond sixteen, right? Yeah, We're, they're sixteen yeah. and a half, so they're all vaccinated. Yeah. So, um, I invited you on because you are also a teacher, a professor right. at the School of Visual Arts. How long yeah. have you been there now? I've been in SVA twenty two years. Wow. And in the MFA program. 12 years mm. so it's been a very long time yeah 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 because yeah. i mean i graduated the un uh, the undergraduate program uh, in 1990 so there was yeah there was still some time between when i left and you arrived then yeah, yeah. i think i started yeah. in 99 mm -hmm. yeah yeah and of course charlie charlie's been there the whole time <laughs> i know he he established the department i mean he did he's 
put yep. it together. Yeah. And yeah. He's, he's yeah. wonderful. And so then uh, let's let's start at, uh, at the beginning a little bit. Um, who were your teachers and mentors? Where did you go? I know you were at so, Betzalel. Yes. I, I, you know, I looked at your questions and <laughs> it got into a long conversation with my husband because... Oh, great. I hope you um, recorded it. <laughs> I was like, because I, I think my main mentors, if I'm thinking about it, mm -hmm. I, had, I had a mentor in Betzalel, Igal Shemtov. He was my, prof my teacher and then he, he was the chair of the department for the last year that I was there. And he was a teacher and a mentor and very important. But when I'm looking about my main mentors, they were earlier in my life. Um, and it was a high school teacher that I had mm. for six years, from wow. six to 12 grade, because the system was different than, than she was our teacher for six years. And she was significant, Zeeva Zavidov. Um, and my piano teacher, um, mm who was um, my teacher for, I think, 11 years, maybe. Um, I was thinking about those two women and Nigo um, as, as really the mentors, and especially my piano teacher, Koka Mintzberg, and Zeva in my high school teacher really taught me and talked to me about being an artist in, in your being, in the way that you feel and think and committed. Uh, before it was even focused on photography, I was playing classical piano for 13 years and I was in a high school of music and dance and art. And so it was, it was I think before I even discovered photography, they taught me a lot about what it is to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And then I channeled it to photography and then Eagle was a mentor. Uh, but then over the years here, I had people who supported my career, but it's it's different, like Alan Rapp yeah. and Edwin Hauk and, um, you know, yeah. editors like Kathy Ryan, Jody Kwan. And, but but that different from like sort of the foundation of right. you know, who you are as an artist, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. So your, your teachers uh, back in Israel would have been more inspiring and work ethic and uh, believing right. in yourself. Right. Right. And also giving me a hard time in a way that Israel is. <laughs> I mean, I remember my piano teacher telling me she I think she only said it once, but it really scared me that I'm lazy. Oh, wow. And it was it was a difficult thing to hear, but in a way, I many times feel I'm still fighting what she said that I could mm -hmm. do better and that I've been I'm being lazy. Well, maybe I was 14, 15, I don't remember. <laughs> but it was important to have her, you know, give me a hard time and even to be, be able to hear that voice me. today yeah. in your head. Right? I, I, yeah, I'm still kind of. <laughs> Fighting this. No, I'm not lazy. I'm not lazy. So they, it was not only, and I think this is something important to talk about, not nurture can also be delivering some harsh truth. Right. Not in an offensive way, not in a... You know, not abusive. A, right. But um, you can tell a student, you're not working hard enough. You're maybe even saying you're being lazy. You can do more. You have more in you this is not good enough, or this is mm -hmm. even not good, which yeah. in Betzalel as well, 
um, there was it's also the Israeli culture. We were slaughtered by some a little of the more teachers, direct, <laughs> uh, including Eagle. And uh-huh. it was we we still have, especially the Israelis of us who moved to America and are teaching here. We always have those discussions about how much being harsh is okay because we were experiencing it in Israel, um, and how much of the culture of teaching here is also a result of of the financial structure of mm-hmm. of teaching here and the high tuition and the schools that are sometimes treating students like clients and all this um, differences and we have the ability to compare between the two systems the good and the bad in, in the two systems yeah no I um, one of the things that's changed a lot over the years even even at uh, down at Mercer has been there was this big push to think of the student as the customer and right. the idea that the customer is always right right and and we've pushed back against that quite hard I mean you know we clearly we would not call our students lazy right like I, I think the for for better you know language has changed too right but there's nothing holding us back from talking about the idea of commitment right. like are you committing right? Um, and right. and that's def- that's definitely criticism that I think is fair and appropriate and yeah. and all those things. Um, so yes, there's definitely been a softening <laughs> of rhetoric and language and right. and right. attitude and all those things. Um, and, Which yeah. sometimes is for good. I mean, yes. we had teachers that were really really harsh with us. In yeah. HL, but you know, I I I think some of what they told me. Even though it was kind of inappropriate, not eagle other teachers really mm-hmm. pushed me and built my kind of tested my perseverance, yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. it was maybe not a negative thing in it by its, itself, but it was not too bad for me to be put to the test. Mm-hmm. I, I think it kind of tested my ability to deal with it and to prove them wrong. Right, right. No, I, I mean we talk a lot about. The sort of the level of intensity, what's appropriate, right? Which is also very much though connected to who your students are, right. too. You know, right. are they majors? Are they not majors? Are they, you know, I feel like uh, a big part of my job at at community college, which is open enrollment, is to sometimes really uh, help students, you know, become more interested in their education. You know, sometimes you're at that level, right? right. Right. So it, it has a lot to do with the stu- students that you serve. And actually, that, that, uh, that was one of the, the questions. I mean, who do you see now, your, the students that you're serving? And did you see a change over the years being there at, for 22 years? Yes. I mean, the main change, I mean, first of all, I stopped teaching undergrad. So I'm teaching, oh, that's right. I'm teaching MFA and I'm kind of a visiting teacher in Leslie University's MFA program. Oh. So I also do that. Uh, and I'm also giving workshops independently. Um, so my uh, overall, my students have been just older, just in mm. general, talking about, you know, they're usually between the workshops that are, people can take from different parts of the world now, different ages, also because of the Zoom and because of the MFA where it's the youngest people are 23, but I had students in their 70s. Um, so mainly it's older people, like mid-20s, I would say, and up, and more international students, especially in School of Visual Arts, 
um, many students oh, from yes. China and Korea, Absolutely. so many students from Asia and from India, um, and less American students. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I know um, I've had conversations with people over the, you know, um, there are there are certain language barriers that come up, you know, right. um, which and, for me actually yeah. has been, yeah, <laughs> in a way wonderful because English. I'm an immigrant too, right? And English is not my first language. And I struggled, especially in the first years, but even today, even today, talking to my own kids when they're, mm -hmm. I mean, they're fluent in Hebrew, but they will most of the time speak English. So I think it allowed me for a stronger bond with the international students mm -hmm. and much more like they're talking about nurturing and I am so understanding I am, I am, I am sometimes I feel really like I see myself in them. And I think it has been for me a, a wonderful experience and they can get much more understanding for me, but also patience and we're, we'll open yes. up our phones and Google <laughs> yes, words yes. And, and, and we'll understand each other. I, I taught a history of photography class at LaGuardia Community College early on in my teaching career. And I would say half the class, no, more than half the class, uh, English was not their first language. Or I actually had a group of Japanese students who didn't speak English at all. And I didn't know that until oh about God, four really? weeks into the semester. And, uh, you know, as, as practice, just as, 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 uh, as a practice early on, in, and only in history of photography, uh, because there was no required, single required textbook, it was more of a a conglomeration of, of notes from many different textbooks. I was providing notes. I was providing a lot of my, not, not straight up all my lecture notes, but a lot of summaries of my lecture notes. And they had been getting by on that and I didn't realize it. But it was a big lesson for both of us because I, at, at some point I, I pulled some of the students aside and I, you know, because they never participated and I was just wondering why. And finally someone said, we don't speak English, you know? And I said, how are you, how are you, <laughs> taking this how are you understanding anything i'm i'm doing i say well your notes are fantastic <laughs> oh my god this is amazing <laughs> yes but that slowed me, that that helped me a lot because it i realized there are other things i can do to help them with visuals right. with you know with expanding on my notes not just summaries uh I, it really actually made me a much better history of, of photography professor for everybody because you know, I was really thinking about how does this translate, not just for someone who doesn't speak English, but for someone who's never taken this class, uh, uh, it, someone who's not a photo major or someone who's, you know, never done art history before. Am I, am I using language? Am I saying things that, you know, I understand, but they don't understand? You know, did I, did I take things from Professor Creary at Columbia University and bring it right here without any, like, any backup, any plan? Yeah. 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 We, I mean, I think, you know, in general, students, the different students we had over the years are our teachers because mm -hmm. they teach us a lot from what yeah. they need to what they do to their work and who they are and how they think. That's yeah. how that's how we grow as 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 human beings. I mean, I even forget as teachers <laughs> and as artists and of course as teachers, hopefully. Right. We're doing our work well. <laughs> right. 
and and then you know another kind of diversity you were talking about age groups right and i have that too at a community college where i have students straight out of high school and students who are you know returning from the workforce um or students who are have retired and have just want to take some photo classes right right what is that ex- so now you have that experience too uh right. how do you see differences similarities uh did you change the way you communicate or teach from um group to group? i think what i've became more aware of is how ageist the art world and the photography world is mm. because I sometimes will have students in their mid-70s, they retired, they took a workshop with me or they took Michael Foley exhibition lab, which I'm teaching with him sometimes and they're doing such good work. Mm-hmm. In many cases, much better work then some MFA students that are young <laughs> and hot and, you know, will come to the market and be. And um, I really became, I mean, first of all, I'm older, I'm 49, but I became more passionate about the ways we can fight ageism. No one has to stop doing anything until they're dead. <laughs> People can, you know, start careers, yeah. get jobs, shoot for magazines. If they're doing a good job, if they're 78 or 28. Um, so this is something that I've been, you know, even I sometimes see an older person and I kind of feel myself maybe doubting them. And then they show the work and I'm being, I'm blown away. Hmm. Um, many people sometimes in those workshops took photography, but because it's such a difficult profession, as we know. Right. Um, so they have an education, they did it professionally for a while, and then life took them. They had kids, they needed more money mm-hmm. to other fields. Um, so, um, and then they're coming back. Um, so this, this has been beautiful to see. Just the, you know, the different, you see yeah. different people in different ages from different backgrounds, and they're good, bad and mediocre photographers in all groups. And, and yeah. it's just, yeah, it's just what it is. <laughs> That's right. Lazy, you know. <laughs> like me. <laughs> One of the, the real benefits uh, of being in an, in an open enrollment uh, classroom, uh, school, uh, it has been that every class of mine has students from high school to retirement. I mean, not every, but, but it, everyone can be in one class. And I've always loved having the older students in class because they, there's, um, uh, just a, a level of kind of seriousness and professionalism that they just come with, you know, they're, 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 they know why they're there. Right. <laughs> and there and, is uh, less, they're more humble. Yeah. There's less, ar- the arrogance of youth <laughs> um, you know, um, and yeah, there are yeah. more like there is, I feel there is less of a wasting time on bullshit. Kind mm-hmm. of thing yeah, no, absolutely. Of, you know, you're being absolutely. late and they're like just yeah. being against me for right. weird reasons. So, and, and yeah. sometimes they're actually, uh, often they're, they're really good with the younger students. Like they're right. really good at helping the younger students. Right, there's course. a, there's a calmness they bring, you know, the, and they help them, you know, which is really wonderful. And of course, as we get older, it used to be, I'd get students who were much older than me, but that doesn't happen as much anymore. 
<laughs> right. I know. Less and yes. less. Yes. But, yeah, I think in the workshops that I'm teaching, it happens more. But yeah, we're <laughs> as we get older. Yeah. Now, now we have much more similar uh, conversations, things we have in common. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you ever, you know, uh, had to think about how you're going to, you know, keep teaching and and get this work done and make work has has that time ever been a concern or issue for you or have you always had a really good handle on that the ability to keep making work while working and doing other things it's a daily issue michael i mean teaching being a mother of two shooting for magazines and making work is really really hard i think that's going to be inspiring for a lot of people to hear Yeah. Yeah. I'm working hard. And I think I always feel, I mean, even my kids are saying this. I'm, I always feel like I can't take a break. I always feel like I'm trying to keep my head out of the water. I have to make work every day, all the time. I always feel like the work is not good enough. I'm not writing enough. I'm not making enough lists of things I have to photograph. Um, so I, I I feel it's a it's a real challenge and it's very hard and I have to work hard and almost never give myself a break never it's like hmm. not it's a privilege I feel I don't have if I there is this fear and some of it maybe is unhealthy that if I'll slow down a little or give myself or now not take pictures for my own for a few weeks I'll just start the fall Wow. And then I cannot stop it. Mm-hmm. And then it will end. So some of it comes from a lot being stressed and, and, and being insecure. And so it's not all coming from, I'm so inspired that I'm taking work. <laughs> not at all. I'll, many times I feel like I'll take work just so I don't feel guilty or I don't have those fears that my career is going to vanish in two weeks. Or So th- this is challenging. Yeah. So there's... um. There's as much uh, kind of um, manicness as there is uh, uh, being able to organize time, right? Right. Organize and then make sure I'm doing good work. And, mm-hmm. and you know, this, those fears, they're always... There is a part of me when I see new photographers, whether they're young or not, or new mm-hmm. bodies of work out there that enjoys it and that gets stressed out. I'm like, oh, my God. There's so many talented people and there's so much good work and I I must work harder and harder and harder. And yeah, so it wow. comes with, you know, it can just happen, at least in my case, but for many people, you can just be laid back and calm and mm-hmm. balanced and do all that you want to do with your career if you're a competitive and an achiever. And it, yeah. just, it comes with stress and fears and mania as you called it yes <laughs> your words <laughs> yes <laughs> oh i'm i'm driven by a bit of mania oh yeah i'm Absolutely. sure i'm sure yeah yeah doing the the two shows and teaching and the two young kids and trying right. to make work no, yeah it, Absolutely. it can't be relaxing <laughs> no <laughs> yeah and you do and there and you do feel like you're you're putting so much time into one thing, you're sacrificing time for the other thing and, yeah. you know, and, and, and family, right? Like, am I giving enough time to my kids? Yeah. Right. Which also always have, I always have guilt. I'm not doing mm-hmm. enough. I'm neglect- neglecting them. This yes. And that. I'm stressed out. It yeah. comes, it comes on the, like out on the kids sometimes. It's yes. all, yeah, it's yep. all 
It's a lot. <laughs> it is. It is a lot. And then uh, you're doing the the workshops. You're guest lecturing at Leslie. You said. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have what's mostly a full time gig at SVA. I know. I know SVA doesn't have like real full time professors, right? There, everyone is an adjunct, but it's everyone a different kind of adjunct, adjunct system. And yeah, right. it's not. It's usually I teach once a week in SVA. Oh, okay. okay. Only once a week, and it's. Um, if you want to yeah. talk about the fact that there isn't a full-time job yeah. offered in SVA, I'm mm-hmm. happy to complain <laughs> about it. Yes. Uh, but, yeah. um, you know, I love SVA. It's a wonderful school. Um, I love Charlie. But um, right. I think between tenure positions where people can't be touched to mm-hmm. being an adjunct. With no protection. With right. no protection, we should find more of the middle way for... I think it's 48% of college professors right now that are adjuncts and mm-hmm. it's growing and growing yes. and it, it can be a problem, especially for people. I mean, I sell prints and shoot for magazines, but some people teach and this is their main income and then they have to teach like six classes a week as adjunct just to make a decent income. So yeah, there uh, was, there yeah. was at one point before I did get, and I, and I, I do have a, a nice full tenured professor job at Mercer. So I'm not complaining about that at all. But there was <laughs> there was five years where I was teaching at four different schools in the same week. And every yeah. morning I'd wake up and like a compass think, am I going north, east, south, or west today? You know? it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I never had this experience because mm-hmm. I do have other, mainly shooting mm-hmm. for the magazine. So I never had to right. depend on teaching only for my income. Um, but maybe I would, I'll devote, I love teaching. Maybe I would devote myself to teaching if I thought I could, mm-hmm. you know, make a living only of it if I could have a full-time position. So I think, or even if it's adjunct, maybe it sh- there there should be some changes to that where it can be like a part-time job. Right. Something has to change. Um, I feel. Yeah. Do you see a, a difference in, in style or the way you teach from workshop to you know, a full year with students. Do you think of your grad courses as, as kind of workshops too? It is different, mainly because with the workshops, I will usually go, I will push the students, but there is usually, there is no like deadline or the final mm-hmm. thesis or the exhibition, uh, which can be good for the MFA programs because then it's not only about the journey that me and the students and the student and the class are is creating. They have to be pushed and they also have to be. Many times the workshops, people only take my workshop. They're doing projects. They're maybe professional photographers or not. Um, but in the MFA program, many times I think a student is great or not so mm-hmm. great. And the other teachers that are in the committee, end of the semester, end of the year, have different opinions and um so it, That's right. it is yeah. different like working with with the deadlines and with yeah. the requirements of the program um and sometimes i feel even like i am telling a student this can be a seven-year project but we have to stop right now right and start right. working on the final edit like i can't just you know, a work in <laughs> come just, back, come yeah, back in me seven and the years right? <laughs> in a perfect world. There are deadlines which are good, and I always talk to students about my deadlines with books and exhibitions and and shoots for magazines and how it does push us. Life 
and yeah. the stresses and the deadlines it brings is is a good yeah. thing for you. It's it's stressful, but and and with those deadlines, you should create different expectations for yourself, right? You right. you shouldn't expect this work to look like you did it over seven years. It, exactly. it just can't be, right? Right, right. Yeah, and and so, many and it stopped us from being also too spaced out with our own visions because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> sometimes a vision has to be what you can deliver in three yes. months. Um, so it, it's different in that way. Right. And of course, if you're doing uh, editorial work or work for someone else, you have that vision as well. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And also in the MFA, I'm not, um, my course is required. So some students... That's right find themselves in my That's class right. because Penelope and Brico was already full, you know? <laughs> right. yeah. uh, in the workshops, people, you, they come to take, they want they, to they come for study you. with me. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's also different in that way. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. You have to accept that sometimes you were the second choice. <laughs> I know. And sometimes it's wonderful. There is a discovery right. there. Or I will get students that will push me because... Uh, let's say someone is very conceptual, they will probably, mm-hmm. they won't have me as their first choice, but then they end up with me and I end up with them. Yes. And it can be a wonderful journey together because it's not the predictable journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're both growing and inspired and opening up to, in, yeah. a, good, in a good way, or it yep. can be uh, <laughs> something that was not meant to be and still will try to make the best out of it. Right. <laughs> And you could always um, bring in someone to speak with them every once in a while. Right. It's not exactly. working out. I call Penelope <laughs> for a visit. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, I was going to ask you about the sort of the job market. And we touched on that with adjuncts. And it, it's true. The, you know, it's it's less of an investment. It's less costly. Um for colleges, universities to bring in adjuncts, part-time workers, and that's definitely been happening. The ratio of full-time to part-time at my colleges, you know, has separated more and more, you know, more adjuncts, less full-time. But uh, in terms of mid-career artists, are you seeing any changes out there in hiring? Are you seeing hiring <laughs> at all? Um over the last year and something because of COVID, it's mainly has been a lot of workshops that I'm offered to teach. A okay. lot, a lot, because now they can be offered worldwide because of Zoom. Right. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, unless I, I wasn't offered like teaching in person or anything like that. But it's a lot of workshops because those people can take them from all, all over the world and... I am just wondering how, what will it be, what will it look like in a year or five years? Because mm-hmm. right now I'm giving a lot of talks. I gave talks in Europe and Cyprus and Israel, like <laughs> a lot of talks because of Zoom. And also guest teaching in Israel. I was offered a, like a semester of teaching in China. So... Because of Zoom, there are a lot of changes, and I'm mm-hmm. still, to be honest, I'm still kind of just thinking and adjusting and don't know if this is temporary or... So there are a lot of changes and a lot of things that are wonderful. I don't know if yes. they will continue. I just don't know. Like many of us, like we just don't know how will COVID change our lives in the long run. 
before the rollout of the vaccinations really started to take off, my plan for the fall was to always have a Zoom component, even in the classroom, to have a camera on me for students. And that I'm still thinking I might do that. Well, some of the reasons why students at a commuter college miss courses have nothing to do with health. It has to do with situation at home, right. uh, not having a car when you, or you're needing a ride, uh, having to take look after your kid, you know, uh, sister or brother, your sibling. Oh, parents. Um, I had students who had to take yeah, time off. Who because are parents. They, especially in America, yeah. such a big country, mm -hmm. people had to fly to California or to Ohio to be with a parent for two weeks. If we can give them the Zoom option, yeah. they don't have to miss school and they right. can... Yeah. So I think when I'm doing pure lectures, uh, I, I'm still going to have a camera, you know, for that lecture, or at least record that part of the lecture. And I've I created so many video tutorials this past year that there's a lot I can just send a student who misses a class now. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. it's, that's what I'm saying. It, mm -hmm. I can see even with my kids, I don't know what, right now they're blended. We are in New York City, they're in public mm -hmm. schools. I don't know what next year, maybe they can still be a part of the class if they're at home sick. I, I don't know, but uh, it definitely showed us that we can work in different ways. Yeah. And and even at the gallery, when I do receptions, I'm always going to have the cameras on now for receptions. Uh, so, you know, we'll have people in the gallery. We'll have the artists oh, in the oh, gallery. Right. We'll have I we'll have artists that. who can't make the reception who will be on Zoom. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I we'll didn't keep, think about it. Yeah. We'll keep doing that too. So yeah, there are some things we learned. <laughs> a lot. We learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. So um, let me ask you, uh, what is or one or two of your favorite assignments to give? Um, and maybe it's different, <laughs> you know, when you're in a undergrad, grad workshop. Yeah. So I have to admit, I wrote it down, but... Um, <laughs> It's, it, it's definitely, of course, something that I, I relate to. But when I am sending my students to photograph their loved ones, mm. to photograph their parents, to photograph... Sometimes they do it anyway, but many times they're just forced to, to photograph their lovers, to photograph their children, to photograph themselves. I love this assignment because, of course, <laughs> a lot of intimacy comes and... Then, a lot of issues that are talking about relationships and emotions and human connection or misconnection or, or flawed relationship or pain. or So whether or not they continue or turn it into a project, this is something that always brings so much and is, and is an eye-opener, even if they then go back to photograph fashion or to make portraits of a different community that they're strangers to. I think this is something that is always inspiring and beautiful and also allows me to to know my students better and their story and background and family. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I I like giving assignments that help students get to things they care about more quickly. You know, get them away from the the sunset on the ponds and the the parks and you know the the long right. trail heading down, right. you know, that kind of thing. And and that sounds like a, a perfect assignment to to really get them to talk about things you care about, right? Right, and you love, and you're, or you're even, you know, have issues with or difficulties yeah. with, yeah. Yeah, one of the one of the assignments I rotate in and out uh, is to photograph what you think home is, and it's you know it's a it's an assignment that can work really well 
Oh, I'm stealing this from you. I'm writing it down. What Please. do you think is? Well, I'm going to take yours, so. <laughs> <laughs> Stolen. Here. I wrote it down. So uh, what's a... Um... What's a good pro tip from your experience teaching or photographing? Ah, it's it's such a tricky one because I think, first of all, I think it can be almost a contrast uh, between what you need as an artist, mm -hmm. which is sometimes very self-absorbed and it's very motivation and ambition and thinking about yourself and being competitive and there is something more lonely in it and being a good teacher that can almost be the opposite of it. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking about what the person needs and not about what how you create, but what from your knowledge can help the student and not think about yourself and really put yourself in someone else's shoes. So it's different tips um, for the yeah. different jobs. No, and you, as we know, some really right. great artists are not good teachers. True. And vice versa. So, <laughs> but for both, I would say persistence and and hard work and not mm -hmm. giving up and not letting the down times bring you down and continue to grow and to think and to learn in different ways, um, and 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 continue. Period. You know, just continue and continue and find ways to deal with failures and and, and yeah. move on and grow and develop. I love that answer because you found a commonality, but you also made an incredible, I think a great distinction. Uh, you know, a teacher has to be engaged with people in, in a very public and in a very uh, uh, generous way. Right. Uh, whereas when you're creating the art, it, it, it's a much more selfish act. Yeah, yeah it is a selfish mm -hmm. act. It is. Um, and and it's, it's okay also to acknowledge it. It's not oh, a yeah. terrible thing, but it is a selfish <laughs> act. And there's a lot of ego involved. I mean, right. when you meet artists that are famous, they're famous for a reason. There are many mm -hmm. talented people out there. And the one of us that, and I'm talking, acknowledging yeah. myself too, it's, it's a lot about I need people to recognize my yes. work and to tell me it's good and to buy my books. Right. I mean, even the... Yeah, if you think about the, the generous part of it where it is you want to share this, that's still you saying, you should look at this. It's right. Because I made it. What I'm saying or showing <laughs> is interesting enough for you to spend $34 right. on Amazon. <laughs> Midlife by Eleanor Carucci, published by Monticelli Press, <laughs> with forward by Kristen, is it Rupenian? Yes, Kristen Rupenian wrote yes. the forward. Beautiful um, forward, yes. She is amazing. And we got to know each other when I photographed for her short story mm. uh, that became viral, Cat Person, in The New Yorker. Oh, okay. So she was anonymous. She mm. wrote this short story. She wrote many others. But this got published, and it became viral. And now she is a worldwide nice. success. She was brilliant before, and she's brilliant now. And we got but in But now touch she's known because, and brilliant, yes. Yes, yes, brilliant writing for HBO, or I don't know, whatever right. she's doing right now. Um, that's but great. that's how we connected. Um, and oh, that's she amazing. beautifully. Well, if I, if I was to uh, title this episode, I'd call it Don't Be Lazy. <laughs> 
Right, right. Or aren't we all lazy? Yes, that's right. <laughs> and trying to fight it all our lives. Yes. yes. Oh, well, this has been great. And thank you for being so thoughtful about the questions. This is really amazing. No, of course. This is, I have my... Yes. Notes in Hebrew here for well, every question. Well, if there's anything else we've learned about you today, is that you like lists. <laughs> lists and making notes and writing mm -hmm. down and taking everything I do very seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great. Well, thanks again. <laughs> Thank Always you, a pleasure. Michael. Until the next time. Yes, until the next time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting me for the show again. My pleasure. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.